Thomas is famous for leading the Lewis and Clark expedition along with his Newfoundland dog. Despite coming from an upper-class family, Lewis had no formal education until he was 13 years old. His true love was natural history, and he was an experienced outdoorsman. As he grew up, he joined the military and did well, eventually being assigned to the Secretary of the President of the United States to President Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson was so impressed by Lewis that after the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, he chose him to lead the exploration mission to figure out exactly what they had purchased. Of course, they were also looking for the legendary Northwest Passage, a waterway that would enable trade through the continent from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific in order to make trade with Asia as accessible as trade with Europe. Jefferson wanted to know what the people of the Midwest were like. What were the plants, animals, and environment like? Were the Native Americans open to the idea of a relationship? They returned from the trip triumphant, having found many new discoveries in a mysterious and dangerous land. Upon his return, he settled in St. Louis, and Jefferson made him the governor of the northern Louisiana Territory. He befriended local natives as a child, and it gave him a heart for them as an adult. And as such, he advocated for them from the governor's seat and even helped negotiate peace between warring tribes. Many of his policies also helped to support the fur trade. Things took a turn for Lewis when there came to be a dispute about his land-grant policies that led to many believing that he was a well-intentioned but poor administrator. Unfortunately, this could be because he tried to find a balance between the Native Americans and the settlers while trying to protect both. He was also undermined at every turn by his territorial secretary, Frederick Bates. Bates was hoping to get Lewis dismissed so that he could take his position. Bates was constantly communicating with the nation's leadership behind Lewis's back in order to make false accusations and spread rumors which led to the War Department refusing to reimburse Lewis for the amount that he had personally put forward to pay for the journey that he, Clark, and Sacagawea were so famous for. Lewis had also taken out several loans in order to help pay for the journey, and when his creditors heard the government was no longer going to reimburse him, they called in their debts to him as well. Obviously, Lewis needed to clear up these rumors, so he packed up and headed to Washington to address the government's concerns. Lewis took his valet, a free black man named John Persia, Pernia, sorry, it misspelled it on my script here, with him on his journey. Because the trip would be very dangerous, Lewis updated his will before he left. On their way, they stopped at an inn called Griner's Stand, about 70 miles outside of Nashville. On October 10, Lewis went to his room to go to bed. Just before dawn, on October 11, Mrs. Griner heard two gunshots from Lewis's room. Lewis had been shot in the stomach and in the head and bled to death in the inn. While it's generally accepted that Lewis ended his own life, this has been challenged since the moment of his passing. Letters written by Clark and Jefferson both imply that Lewis had always had a melancholy disposition. Jefferson even states that while the journey of exploration had distracted Lewis from his demons, and with the taxing job over, his troubles came back full force. Neither of these two men expressed any astonishment at Lewis's final act in their letters, but someone else did. Lewis's mother. The Lewis family maintains to this day that ending his own life was simply not within Meriwether's character. Further muttering the, muddying the waters, the innkeeper's wife, Mrs. Griner, gives three different accounts of what happened that infamous night. Her first claim had Lewis talking to himself and acting oddly the night before his death. 
In this account, she heard a scuffle, two gunshots, then found the governor bleeding. Later, she would amend this to say that the servants found the governor with a piece of his skull missing. The third and final version of the story Mrs. Greiner would offer towards the end of her life was that three men had followed Lewis into the inn and he had challenged them to a duel. She said that she heard shouting and gunshots around 1 a.m. and in this version of the tale, Lewis's body was found outside of his cabin. When a coroner's jury held an inquest to investigate the death immediately after the fact, no charges were ever made and the jury foreman's notes on the matter vanished in 1900. It's a little weird that she didn't, you know, check on the guy first thing when she heard the gunshots at 1 a.m., but waited until morning, but maybe that's just me. Forty years later, the body was exhumed in order to build a monument for his grave. The doctor at this examination said that it seems more to be more probable that he died by the hands of an assassin. From 1993 until 2010, 200 of Lewis's relatives through his sister, as he had no children of his own, sought to have his body exhumed for forensic analysis. While a judge agreed to the request, the body and the monument are on land owned by the National Park Service, and the parks have declined the request repetitively, eventually saying that the government's decision was final in 2010. Those who support the suicide theory state that Lewis was known to have terrible depression. Many of them claim that he had picked up malaria, which put him on a path of drug and alcohol abuse that may have agitated his melancholic demeanor, resulting in his death. Lewis did mention several malaria symptoms in his letter, including recurring fever, but there is no evidence that he was on drugs. In fact, his namesake, Clark's son, Meriwether Lewis Clark, said that the suicide was the only breach in character that could be held against Lewis. Of course, a forensic autopsy would clue us in on any drug habits, nutritional patterns, or illnesses Lewis may have had. However, requests for this examination continue to be denied. On the Travel Channel's America Unearthed, there is a discussion of Lewis's membership in the Freemasons. To a Mason, their Freemason apron is sacred, and as such, keeping this apron pristine would have been a priority. Yet, Lewis's apron was present at the moment of his death and was splattered with blood. When extracted and tested against DNA of the Lewis surviving family members, it was determined that the blood on the apron came from two donors, neither of whom was related to Meriwether Lewis himself. In other words, two other people were present and bleeding at the time of Lewis's death. The episode discusses a theory that Lewis may not have just been seeking that Northwest Passage, but also evidence that people of Welsh descent may have been present in the Louisiana Territory. These people were thought to have integrated with the local native tribes, giving them not only mixed racial features, but the use of the ancient Welsh language. Why all the secrecy? This migration would have been pre-Columbian, thus throwing the accepted American territory, Native American history, and the boundaries of various colonies of America in history into contention. This level of shakeup would go against the interests of all of the countries who still owned territories on the continent. Assassination theorists use this as proof of a motive to get Lewis out of the way if he found evidence of a Welsh connection. On the other hand, Lewis's closest friends don't doubt that he would take his own life. Those who traveled with him from St. Louis to where he passed away in Tennessee have written letters about having to prevent the governor from harming himself several times on the journey before they even arrived at Griner's stand. Depressingly, Lewis's valet, John Pernia, 
finished the journey to Monticello, where he requested his back pay, as Lewis had been unable to pay him since the government had re refused to reimburse Lewis, as he previously agreed. He was owed to about $250, which would be about $6,448 today. John was also refused and eventually ended his own life, which I found to be one of the most suspicious parts of the whole thing. Even if Lewis had a history of depression, it seems unlikely that both he and John would both be prone to self-harm. Perhaps John also knew something he shouldn't, simply because of his proximity to, Lu to Lewis. Maybe poor John became a loose end. So far, this event seems inconclusive, though those who have an opinion on either side have equal conviction in their beliefs. For some, Jefferson and Clark's works are all the proof they need, or sorry, their letters are all the proof they need. For others, multiple gunshot wounds seem to be the main sticking point. Loading a gun in those days was quite a process. It involved the shot, powder, wadding, a ramrod to pack it all in, and all in all, it took time. These theorists point out that if Lewis already had the first gunshot wound, it would take quite a lot of will to go through the whole loading process again to take the second shot, especially if, as some claim, the headshot came first, after which he was missing a big chunk of his skull. It's pretty, uh, pretty determined to reload if you're reloading at that point. This is why in movies that take place around the revolution, you'll see a person who reloads for every person who takes a shot, because it takes so long to reload a gun back in those days. It was quite a process, and it had to be done precisely correctly, or else the gun would fail. Personally, I think the suicide relies too much on testimonials and not on solid scientific evidence, especially when this evidence can be easily obtained, but is being willfully withheld. But the assassination theory feels a little too tinfoil hat for me to just um, jump on board with without more evidence. Either way, I think there's a lot more to the story than we as the public are being allowed to know. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, it is such a pleasure to talk to you and share a mystery. I would love to hear from anyone who knows more about this case, as it definitely has me curious. Please like, subscribe, and share this show in order to help me beat the algorithm. And of course, please visit me anytime at southernfriedtourguide.com.